0: If we have not met yet, my name is Gracie. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, And as we begin this new sermon series today, Sam is sick and so we are gonna use some of the words she has left for us along with some of the reflections the Holy Spirit has laid both on my heart and I think the heart of our church um, to begin this series together. So as we begin our series, we are looking at Micah chapter six. It will serve as a guide for us in the coming weeks to the ways that God is calling us to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. So each week we're gonna look at a different phrase and today we're gonna start at the beginning as we look at justice and what that call means for me and for you and for our church, for us as believers. So we're gonna begin in the beginning with Micah with the passage that will found and root us as we move through this series. Micah is a book that is not super well known. We don't preach out of it often, but there are some phrases that might be familiar. That phrase about taking your plowshares or taking your swords and beating them into plowshares or the idea that the Messiah will come from the city of Bethlehem. And of course, our phrase today, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. We don't know much about Micah. He is a prophet. We know that he lived and wrote during the reign of some Judean kings in the seventh and eighth century. We know that Micah identified closely with the poor and the oppressed, and he spoke out for them time and again. We know that God called Micah to prophesy in the moment when he was most needed and when God's people were most downtrodden. We also know that Micah looked at those in power, and he laid the blame at their feet for the ways that the poor and the oppressed had been treated, and he called them to turn and to do better. During the time of Micah, like we see throughout the Old Testament, Israel had enjoyed a time of prosperity, but then things changed. A foreign power came and they conquered Israel. They conquered the northern kingdom and it fell and life began to change for God's people. It was a time where they lost their independence. They lost some of their identity as the people of God. They had to contend with different practices and different religions that were being intermingled with their culture. And as they often do, as we often do, they began to stray. It was a time of great change and a time of pain for God's people. And it was the time that Micah stepped up to say, even now God is with you. And even now God calls you to turn back and to remember. And even now God calls us to not remain silent. So chapter six in our passage for today begins with what we call a covenant lawsuit. This is a literary technique that we see throughout the Old Testament where the terms of God's covenant with Israel, the promise that God has made to God's people and that God's people have made with God is recalled and remembered and the ways that God's people have fallen short are named. So we see Micah calls the mountains and the hills to serve as the jury, to hear God's grievances against God's people because they've been there from the dawn of creation. They have seen the way God has remained faithful to the covenant and the way God's people have turned away. So Micah first recounts God's faithfulness. He invites the people to remember. He says in verse four, God says, I brought you out of Egypt. I redeemed you from slavery and suffering. I sent Moses and Aaron and Miriam to lead you into a land of promise and fullness. I have blessed you when people tried to curse you. I have saved you and shown you the way through deep waters and I have parted those waters so that you can follow my promise, but you've forgotten. So to remember here doesn't just mean to recall these events. It means to identify fully with these ancient stories, to know they're not tales from long ago, but they are living examples of the ongoing presence and power of God in the lives of God's people. So our scripture today is a remembering, but I think it's also a lament a lament from God who has done everything possible to show love and kindness and to set God's people up for wholeness, and yet they turn away. They continue to rebel, they continue to forget, and the heart of God is both grieved and called to action. God here is reminding the people of his faithfulness and presence in the midst of their disobedience but God is also course correcting and setting new boundaries and helping them to learn a better way. So as we consider justice throughout this month and this series, we might wonder what is justice? Is it a mix of judgment and hope, boundaries and reprimands, grounding and course correcting, punishment that helps us learn a better way? Is it a parent who comes alongside to nurture and to guide so that we might be full and whole and safe. So after Micah brings the case against God's people, they respond, often as we do, they say, what now? How do we make our mistakes right? How do we restore relationship? How do we find hope in the midst of the brokenness? And so they offer what I think we like to do sometimes, what seems easiest? They say, shall we come before you with burnt offerings, with calves and rams and thousands, 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we offer our firstborn, the thing closest to our heart for these transgressions? But God answers, no, that is not what the Lord requires of you. That may be easier to offer platitudes or easy actions or to seek seek to make amends with what, what looks good and what feels visible. But we hear here that God is not concerned about burnt offerings or thousands of rams or olive oil or your firstborn or even the offering of your own physical life. God is seeking something deeper than these surface level actions or doing what looks right from the outside. God wants us to act justly. Notice here the word act. Justice is not simply this abstract idea or hope. Justice is something that we do. It is not enough to wish for justice or to lament places of injustice or to complain that someone do something to bring about justice. Justice calls each one of us to action. As Methodists, this notion should be pretty familiar. This is part of the call and the foundation of who we are as Methodist people. The Methodist movement started as people seeking justice for the oppressed, people taking this notion of holiness and realizing that personal holiness was not enough, that God has called us to holiness in all its forms, especially social holiness. Holiness is social because God is social. God created each one of us in God's image to be relational creatures who walk in community with one another, who hold one another in pain, who stand up and speak out for one another in injustice. We become fully human when we share in the relationship God initiates with us through the people God has placed in our path and in our community. True holiness is seeking both personal and social holiness. It's seeking to grow in our own faith, but also looking out into the world to care for others. We cannot have one without the other. So much that Wesley was known for saying that there is no holiness that is not social holiness. If we are not caring for the poor and the outcast, if we are not educating children in need, if we are not speaking out for the overworked and the underpaid, if we are not acting as agents of change, then our holiness is incomplete. Our sanctification and our journey towards Christian faith is only partial when it remains internal to us. Holiness is a renewal of the whole image of God, the image of God that is found in community as it is transformed in the social, the political, the economic, in all aspects of community. Jesus also speaks about this notion. We hear Micah calling out, he's saying the same thing, right? There is no holiness that is not social holiness. If those in power are not caring for the poor and the oppressed, then we have missed the mark. Jesus looks to the Pharisees of his day and says, I see, I see you give, I see you give your 10% of your oils and your spices, but you've missed the mark because you've neglected justice, and you've neglected love, and you've neglected mercy. So biblical justice, friends, is practicing acts of justice and acts of personal piety. It's of offering and ritual. It's not giving a 10th and saying that's enough. Biblical justice calls us to step outside what feels easy or comfortable. It calls us to not just be allies with our words, but agents of change in our actions. As we think about justice, the question becomes, who needs justice? Who are we speaking for? some group god that's right we are speaking for god as we act justice out in the world so we see throughout the scriptures some things that will sound familiar right foreigners foreigners widows the poor children in need those who have been forgotten by society those who have been left out of the safety nets those who have been denied resources, those who are strangers in this land and have been rejected because of where they come from or what they believe or who they are. Those are the vulnerable vulnerable groups we see spoken of in the Bible, and I think we can imagine here today who those vulnerable groups are in our own lives. Who are those people that have been forgotten, cast out, left to fend for themselves, Our systems have not been set up to ensure that they thrive and they succeed. Who are the vulnerable among us and how do we act justly towards them? Biblical justice starts with identifying and advocating for the oppressed and the vulnerable here and now in our time. Naming those people and coming close to them so that we can be in relationship and that we can listen and we can partner with them in this movement of justice. But we know this work isn't easy. It's easy to talk about, hard to do. The author Margaret Atwood identifies one common obstacle to justice, and it's this. It's ignoring. I want you to hear that, ignoring, not ignorance. Ignoring is not the same thing as ignorance. Ignoring is an action we take to not look at the places of pain and heartache. Sometimes it comes from busyness. All of our lives are filled with so many things, good things, hard things, work, family, responsibilities, caring for loved ones, stress. It can be easy to forget to stop and to see. But the other part is we would often rather not look especially when we feel powerless in the face of pain and sorrow, in the face of injustice. It's easy to not look because it's hard. It calls us to examine ourselves and our privilege and to say, what does this mean for me and what is God calling me to do? Whether we look or not, it remains our call as people of faith to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in all forms. When we don't look, the problem doesn't go away. It remains and it grows. When we don't look because it feels too big for our one action or our one responsibility, it continues to thrive. So Micah reminds us we cannot ignore the plight of the vulnerable and we have to look so that we might be advocates for justice. Another way to say this friends is we can't be silent observers. We can't look away and not witness and bear witness to the pain and the tragedy of our world. In our silence we are complicit with injustice. I read an article this week about Darnella Frazier. She's a 17 year old, um, maybe 20 year old now, but she's a 17 year old teen at the time who was present during the murder of George Floyd. In a moment of deep pain and trauma, when it would have been easy to look away, when she didn't know what she could say or do to make a difference, she didn't remain silent and she didn't ignore. She pulled out her cell phone, and she recorded what was happening, and she bore witness in that moment to deep injustice. She helped propel a national conversation around racism and police brutality. She took one small action in that moment by refusing to look away, and refusing to let those around her look away from the injustice. A quote that stuck with me this week from her, she said, even though this moment was traumatic and life changing for me, I'm proud of myself. If it weren't for my video, the world wouldn't have known the truth. I own that my video didn't save George Floyd, but it did put his murderer away and off the streets. And it did call us to act and to not look away. I also thought about the mother of Emmett Till. This last week was the 67th anniversary of his lynching. After his tragic and unjust death, in the midst of the deepest tragedy she had ever faced, his mother told the funeral home that the casket would remain open, that she would ensure that the world bore witness to the injustice and the tragedy and the horror of what had happened to him and so many other black Americans. She would not stay silent and she would not allow those around her to look away. She too spurred a national movement. That one action reignited conversations around racial justice and civil rights and helped move us farther along the journey to justice and equality. Biblical justice is taking personal responsibility for what you see. So when you look out today and tomorrow and in the weeks to come at a world where you are overwhelmed by the amount of suffering and you feel powerless in the face of it, what can you do? You can look, you can have others look with you and encourage conversation, and you cannot stay silent in the face of injustice. One of the quotes I found in Sam's notes that I think really drives this point home is from the Talmud. This was a a commentary that rabbis would look through the Old Testament scriptures and they would make commentary on. And one rabbi said this as they were looking at our passage for today. They said, do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. So friends, we do something now, today, small or big to make a difference. We do not have to start the work knowing we can complete it. We just have to start. We cannot abandon it. So this is what the Lord requires of us to act justly now. Thanks be to God.